Greetings. As you know, this is the measure of an episode. Our continuing mission is to explore what makes a Star Trek episode a proper Star Trek episode, and not just quality or crappy TV. I'm Jonathan. I'm Paul. The title of this episode, I was... I was trying to, th- like, I no. think a woman scorned would have been a much better name for this episode than Eye of the Beholder. Well, only because I mean, that one makes sense, and Eye of the Beholder doesn't make sense in the right. context of the Because Eye of the Beholder means there is no objective view. Am I wrong about that? Like, Well, kind of, but I, I don't, I don't, I've, I've known it as beauty, not truth. So if it's truth is in the Eye of the Beholder, then absolutely you're right. If beauty is in the eye of the beholder, then it's kind of, you know, what you like, I don't. Not what you see as true, I don't. Neither of which apply to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Regardless of how we break that down. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Well, okay, so the the blurb of the episode is, while investigating a crew, blah. That's it. It's weird. The guy must have died right there when he was writing it. It's weird that he wrote blah. (laughs) He was trying to communicate with us. While investigating a crew member's suicide, Troy is overwhelmed by by strange visions. Meanwhile, her bond with Worf deepens. Meanwhile, back at the farm. <laughs> uh, which, which is kind of a lie, but... No, yeah, it's, it's totally a lie. I mean, yes, in the last two and a half seconds of the episode, her, her, her bond perhaps deepens. But well, her her bond, her feelings toward Worf have changed by the end of this episode because of those 10 seconds where she lived in her mind. Right. And we, we have so much to talk about being inside of the mind <laughs> of Deanna Troy. Like, there's so much to talk about. Uh, let's go through the episode. So the episode starts out with an alien named Dan who's about to commit suicide, <laughs> which that just sounds like a great sitcom. I know. An alien named Dan. <laughs> an alien named Dan. Voiced by Seth Rogen. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And one of the things that I would have loved, and I know it's not the case because it, they didn't do this because it's episodic, but how great would it have been if Dan had been on this season, like the whole time, or he'd been just in like the last three or four episodes as a more prominent guest star? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, they did that actually twice in this episode where they introduce a character that everybody seems to know, but we've never seen before. And you, I mean, it's almost a trope on Star Trek because they're so these, especially next gen, cause it's so episodic and you right. have to do that. If you want to kill somebody that means something to everybody. <laughs> so I understand why they do it. It's just, it, it, it feels disorienting. Right. What I did like about this opening though, was it was probably the most star, uh, science fiction element of the show where we're kind of thrown in. And what I liked about it was it sort of implies the treachery of navigating space, right? That they would have these crazy problems that would happen that, that involve super sophisticated technology and very scientific things, (laughs) you know, like there would be a lot of obstacles in terms of navigating, even as for an advanced society like Star Trek. And we kind of get thrown into the middle of one of those things because I don't, I I don't think that what was going to happen to Dan was the problem. I got the impression that there was a problem with the ship and Dan was taking advantage of it and going to just kind of take advantage of the fact that the, he had access to a means of death. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but it did feel, it, I liked it. I like, we were just thrown into it and we were forced to live with it. 
right? That this right. is this was a problem and they were dealing with it and that this kind of happens all the time. And the fact that we were just kind of thrown into the cold open with it already having happened. Like it didn't start out with like some banal discussion on the bridge and then something happens. Like we're right. thrust into it. And I love that. That's science yeah. fiction. And it was just we were watching them solve the problem, not knowing anything about the problem or what they were doing to fix it. Just watch. It was fun. I loved it. And then and then Dan. And then Dan. <laughs> And I, I was kind of disappointed to learn that the reason his name is Dan is because his dad was human. But I just loved the idea that there was this alien named Dan. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so almost immediately, Data starts saying, you know, why, why would one commit suicide? And it was interesting because, first off, it's, it's 30, no, 25-ish years ago. And... We have since come to recognize that suicide people who have suicidal thoughts a good portion of the time actually have a chemical imbalance, and it's not just problems that they have to work through, which is kind of the the suggestion that data made so it's it's a little dated and a little tasteless, but yeah, <laughs> what was even more tasteless is in the middle of this suicidal conversation, they throw in a data joke yeah. of him trying to emulate Jordy's arm I crossing. Know. But see, okay, so to to bring us to our next segment, the why do we love data segment of this podcast, <laughs> data takes it upon himself to go talk to data, which sometimes, or to talk to Jordy, which sometimes I feel like is uninvited <laughs> and, and maybe not welcome from Jordy. Uh, but so, but I did notice that Spiner's walk is as data is different. It's kind of stilted. Like, yes, I, he doesn't swing his arms. Yeah, he doesn't swing his arm, and he just kind of lumbers over. And I was like, "Oh, this is awesome, right?" And <laughs> and because here's why: because in, uh, and kind of coupled along with the fact that he's trying to mimic Jordy, like they're telling the story of data in those two things, right? Yes. And and maybe it's an old story at this point, but <laughs> what I loved about it was they were telling the story without with without having to to talk about it, right? Granted, right, they were showing, not telling. Absolutely. Right. Granted, the dialogue is another story because they're having this after school special that that typically happens between Jordy and Data. Yeah, but it's usually not so heady. Like yeah. this really felt like in the first five minutes it was like tonight on a very special episode yeah. of Star Trek: The Next Generation. <laughs> Data learns about suicide. <laughs> so I don't know that another reason why we all love data and and by proxy Brent Spiner right yes we now return you to your regularly yeah. scheduled podcast and I want to know did they tell him to walk stilted or is that just him doing it because at that point it's the season seven and you know maybe they've checked out a little bit so they're like oh, you just do whatever you want nobody cares right I, th- I think it's a, I think it's a little bit of both I think that you know he he probably like they they probably suggested at some point you need to distinguish yourself from the other Starfleet officers for being an android, so you can't just casually you know, walk and talk and be yourself. And he probably came up with the different ways to do it. Uh, I think another one that would have been even more jarring, and I wonder if he ever tried it, was to not move his elbows when he swings his arms. You know, not not in like a full robot, like up to your shoulders, <laughs> but just as he swings his arms, like he doesn't bend his elbows and let his arms hang casually on his side. Yeah. Like I think that I think yeah. that would be more jarring than not swinging his arms. Well, he and he was he was doing a version of that sort of. Like he he was doing it enough where uh, you know, close people watching closely would notice and to to sort of get the the extra bit of character that he was giving us. And 
you know, I, I don't know. I liked it. I appreciate it. it yeah, wasn't, no, I died it too. It I wasn't Danger agree. Will Robertson. Robinson? <laughs> Robertson? Yes. Danger Will Robinson. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> like, stupid shit. Um, so one thing that I learned about data, um, and then we'll get back to the podcast, is apparently the idea of him not having contractions only came about when they decided to bring in his brother Lore. It's not something that they decided about his character from the very beginning. And it's something that um, that Brent Spiner was kind of okay with, but kind of irritated that it it was thought of late in the game rather than, you know, one of the character traits right from the beginning. Which is why, apparently, in those first few episodes of the first season, he's using contractions way more than he did from that point on, where it's more of a, a gaff. It's also kind of a hack thing, right? I mean... The idea that that just making eye contact with another human would be way more complicated than than forming a contraction, you know, I'm I'm assuming right. <laughs> in an android's brain, like they couldn't think of something different, yeah, to to demonstrate that the the, the difference between the two the two androids. I don't know. I, I can understand why he would be pissed about that, <laughs> you know. Right. But the other thing too that it was explained as was to give him that uh, very distinct separation from humanity because lore was too human i mean we'll get to it in data lore but um will we i don't know we don't know <laughs> sometime in the next 13 years yeah. anyway so the whole data thing to me is a great expression you know i, I feel like almost whenever data is on screen most of the time there is some element of science fiction being expressed and so this episode has that going for it i suppose um but then the rest of it is kind of this weird it kind of turns into a light horror episode. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a suspenseful one. I mean, it's not the same as the the monster episode on DS9 with Odo. There is some kind of looming presence, whether it's a killer or it's just something that, like, impacts empaths. There's not even... there's, But there's not a deadline on it. So, yeah. I mean, I, I would say suspense. I wouldn't say horror. Well, just because murder is involved in it. It just, it feels, I I suppose the reason I say horror is because there seems to be these supernatural things that are happening to Deanna, right? Right. So they go about sort of trying to find out why Dan killed himself. And so when Deanna interviews Calloway, which is Dan's girlfriend. Yes. um, (laughs) It just, it feels, it feels like the beginning of a, the way you would like, I don't know, a TV horror show, like a Stephen King kind of thing. Um, actually, the, the, this episode kind of started to remind me of like the first bit of Event Horizon, the movie. Did you ever see that movie? Yeah. It's kind of started to feel that way because it's kind of, there's like a lot of psychological stuff going on, but supernatural oh, okay. psychological stuff. And you right, don't know right. what's going on and there's not really a lot of explanation as to what's happening. It's sort of this descent into madness kind of. I mean, obviously, uh-huh. Event Horizon has a bunch of horror, literal horror stuff, body horror and everything right, that, right. that this episode ends prematurely. <laughs> kind of steered away from. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just as a side note, when Deanna is interviewing Calloway, they, they end this interview with Calloway saying, it's not like Dan to take his own life. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> not like Bob, who who's doing it all the time you know like right it's a weird way to say that and i understand what yes. they were trying to do in a writing sense it's just a terribly right. written line because you don't yes. say it that way like, <laughs> right. so he's never done this before i know <laughs> it felt like a super airplane moment right right um 
Anyway, that's, that's that just kind of stood out to me as as ridiculous. Uh, so then they go. So, so then she has her sort of freak out when she looks into the nacelle. The By the way, I think maybe the coolest part of this episode is when we get to look down the nacelle. I don't think that yeah. ever happens again in the show. And obviously because it looks very expensive, but it's so cool looking. I mean, it, you can tell there's some visual effects going on, whatever. But I mean, that was, I mean, it made it look like almost like it was a movie or something because they gave it so much detail and stuff moving around in the background and stuff. Like it was cool. And we got several shots of it. I don't know. I, I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. Unfortunately, that's sort of the only science fiction that happens after that. <laughs> No, she's she's seeing into the past. That's definitely science fiction. But not by any means of science fiction. She's just seeing in she's seeing in the past through being a, a empath, right? Like I I don't yes, that happens because she's an alien, but I mean, couldn't you see this being a Stephen King like TV movie where somebody can just magically see into the past and and see somebody being murdered? And has to figure out who these people were and why they were murdered and what was going on. And, oh, it happens. Yeah. To you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they do explain it. They do techno babble it away at the end of the of the show, which we don't like. You know, they talk right. about there was cellular residue. Which right. Psionic. Like, yeah. That, that mean he beat off into the cell? <laughs> <laughs> we had it completely sterilized once we found that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like it, it just, it didn't, it felt, I mean, it was, a, I guess it was a well constructed episode, right? I, I actually didn't, I didn't, re- I don't remember watching this episode, but I, I didn't call it, right? I wasn't like, oh, this is going to be a thing. Like I actually thought that, that Pierce, the guy who ends up being the bad guy was actually a member of the crew, right? I thought like, it, it, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I was totally, um, had by the plot line. Um, so, but, but anyway, as a side note, Pierce. So bit of casting corner segment here. Um, he looks like a bad guy, right? Yes. There's no question yes. that like, okay, this guy is obviously going to be the villain. He's going to be the guy that they're right. They're all right about this. He's not going to just end right. up being like, Oh, I'm just a nice guy. Like, is that, <laughs> is he acting? Is that an acting thing? Or is that just, I'm sorry, you look like a villain. So you are, are now condemned to playing those guys on television from now in here on out. Right. Like, uh, no, he it, it definitely was an acting choice because he shows up um, the he shows up again in Enterprise, both as a Klingon and as a, an alien we've never seen before. Um, and this is named he, Dan. <laughs> um, and he plays it completely different. So it definitely was it. Now, the question is, was it an acting choice to be that sinister or was it a director saying, you know, kind of like in the Voyager episode, you're the bad guy? And audience is dumb, so you need to tele <laughs> tele telecast it. No, yeah. What am uh, I saying? Telegraph. You need to, you need to telegraph. telegraph. Yep. Yeah. Well, but I mean, when you're wearing makeup, it's easier to make somebody not look sinister. So, <laughs> right. So, like, when you see him, do you just think he's a bad guy in general? I yeah. gotcha. If I just saw his headshot, I'd be like, "That's him. That's the one." Right. <laughs> That's He's the, the one who did it. Doesn't matter what it is, he did it. <laughs> yeah, that's actually what it says on his card. <laughs> but I like that's a thing, right? Like we had talked about. Okay, so there's a lot of acting things that happen that are sort of inherent to to movies and television, where like one of them was uh, looking as though you've been defeated, 
like the like right. the, you know the cathartic defeat of the villain where they're they're upset you know like that's an acting thing that never happens in real life right I mean, right. does he look like a villain walking down the street? You know, like it happens every once in a while where they cast somebody and you're like, oh, God, what a great casting choice. He looks bad. <laughs> yeah. He looks evil. I would I would say part of it is probably his neutral expression and kind of his like almost sinister smirk that he had the whole time. Um, he he definitely was not animated like he was he was a subdued. This was a subdued performance. Um and so I think, you know, like, does does he have resting villain face? I don't know. Um. <laughs> well, it actually ends up, ironically, that he is not a villain. Like, he is not the he's not a bad guy. And as it turns out at the end of the episode, he's just a guy who was heartbroken and kills himself. Right. Well, uh, but Pierce Pierce was a ghost as well. Like he was he was not actually on the crew. No, he was not in the crew. He was okay. Like, everything after everything after where uh, Deanna first Vanessa, freaks out right. is fake, or uh, and yeah. it happens inside her head. So right. the way I understood it was, so the way I understood this whole this whole thing was that she looks into it, the the psychic energy thrusts into her of whatever bad thing happened, and her yeah. mind sort of just kind of creates its own narrative based upon the facts written in the cellular residue. Um, okay. So w- the way I interpreted it, because those people, uh, they, I was going to say they've been missing, but that was also in her head. So maybe they're yeah, not. Yeah, what's real? Like, what's actually right. real? Right. I mean, there, there, is, there is canon outside of this episode that shows that what she viewed was real, but it's from a novel, so it doesn't. It doesn't really pertain to this specific episode, so I don't know. I mean, regardless, either either he, regardless, he did not have malice intention against Troy. Like he may have actually shot the the his girlfriend and the 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 other guy, and then committed suicide, or he just committed suicide over the just over like what he what he saw and maybe wanted to do it, and that's what impressed on the psionic signature. Maybe, uh, but but what, like when he when Deanna passes him after she confines him to quarters, and he says, "You know what you have to do," making yeah. him making it seem like she's he's controlling her to do something. When in reality, right. this is all in her head. Like he he never did any of this. Like this and like right. just like she and Worf, Worf has no idea what's going on. So at the very end of the episode, they they talk about um, she recounts everything, um, and they. They pull up the records, and then they say, <laughs> "Maybe we I know." Get this episode. I mean, all like it, all, all that really stuck with me was Riker's flamboyant karate gi that he's wearing on his date in Ten Forward. You don't remember, do you? How can you not remember? No, no, no. Would she, would she change into her old outfit? No, Riker. When when Worf goes to Ten Forward, <laughs> oh, right, his green robe. Yeah, he's like green. It's like a karate gi. Totally. Like did they did they come from karate dance class or something? Uh, oh no, I love like I I totally pictured he's like when when he is not in uniform he is in that robe. Oh like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. is his like that's how you know he's off duty. But yeah, no. Speaking of the record ten forward thing, like I it it made me question your thing about how you don't like Worf. Like I thoroughly enjoyed that scene where he was trying to. It was great. It was actually a really great scene. It was. It was a real, okay. It, that's the thing about this this episode is, regardless of its Star Trekianness, 
it was a really well written episode. I mean, they did a they did a great job with this. I mean, they they committed to whatever they were doing and they, and they nailed it. You know. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, and they both like were act. I mean, actually having jumped from I think season two next gen to season seven, where everybody is super comfortable in their characters and they're able mm-hmm. to sort of stretch out and actually do some acting and not just play the the stereotype of that role. I mean, it actually felt really good. It felt like, oh, this is a real place. This is why people love this show. It's because it's like, yes, it is a science fiction show where there's bleep bloops. But, oh, by the way, there are these real people who are interacting with it, right? Which is the purpose or our criteria of what makes a a good or a proper Star Trek show is like, this is it, right? This is why we feel this way. But what's interesting about that is, so all of this is supposed to be happening in Deanna's head. And what's weird about that kind of structure where something is supposed to be happening is usually the subject is always in every shot. So if if it is true that everything is happening in her head from that moment, then she's imagining Worf going in and talking to a flamboyantly, which I love that that's how that's how Deanna sees Riker is just dressed in these crazy, like weird robes when he's not on duty. Um it would have been interesting to sort of because obviously Deanna is in love with Riker and that's kind of the play like to in mm-hmm. some way play with how her brain, I guess, idealizes Riker or, or whatever. Right. Like it, it just, everybody seemed to be the same. Do you think there would be way more characterizations of these people? Like that would have been more fun. I guess they didn't want to clue in that she's having some sort of episode, right? Well, but see, I, th- I think I think that's why it happens before because it shows that there is a genuine affection from Worf to Deanna, and this episode allows her to see him that way as well. Right, but that, um, that but then that doesn't play at the very end where Worf is totally clueless and doesn't seem to really care about Deanna I guess not 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 care about her but you know what I mean there there, there isn't that sort of forward momentum of like okay I'm gonna ask her out at some point right well right it, it's until she walks away and he has that totally stereotypical like guy moment because yeah. every guy has done this like she could have been talking about anybody and you know like you know why like who you know how did I die I'll have no woman fear like a woman scorned but like probably half the crew is female <laughs> But yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I like that Worf is like, which one was it? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, but no, he has that reaction of, oh my gosh, she totally wants me at the end. Like he, he looks up and looks over at where she just left. Does he? I mean, I feel, yeah. I don't know if I would have made that jump. That would have been a big jump for me, but maybe I'm an idiot, right? Is that is that what she was no, doing? He, he totally, well, yeah, he totally has that, that revelation moment where he's he's working and then he like looks up and stares off at the distance and then looks back to where she used to be. Right. I I I guess if that if that scene with between Reich Reich and Worfin Worfin <laughs> Who? Reich and Worfin? Yeah. Who are you trying to see? <laughs> oh sorry, it comes right before the time travel commercial break. That's totally what happened. <laughs> she was she was standing in front of the nacelle, and then suddenly, or nacelle, she was standing in front of the nacelle, and... Who's nacelle? Who was this person? <laughs> and then suddenly it goes, like, it's turned off, and it hasn't even started. She turns around, and she sees the Utopia Planitia. In the past. It's in the past. Yeah, yeah, it's in the past. And then it cuts to commercial. 
So yes, time travel commercial. Oh, I thought you were characterizing a scene as oh, we're time traveling, and so and it's kind of a break from the regular episode. Sorry. Oh, we interrupt this episode yeah, to show you time travel. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. That's right. That's what I thought you meant by that. Gotcha. I need to stop going off into my own little world when you start telling stories. Right. Um, <laughs> Coming back in at the very end. <laughs> and Closing. that's why Worf should have been played by Gates McFadden. <laughs> yeah, we do. That is sort of the the long lost Star Trek episode of where everybody <laughs> switches bodies. Right. It does happen in the original series, and I can't wait to get to that one. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it happens twice. But what was I? What were we talking about? It doesn't matter. So they go through this whole thing where she sort of kind of descends into madness a little bit, and she right. starts getting so okay. So before it was clear to me that she had imagined everything, mm-hmm. she clearly thinks Worf is a ladies' man. Clearly, oh yeah. If yeah. if like she thinks that he's just macking on all these girls all the time, even though what he was saying. To to Calloway when she sort of is eavesdropping on their com- on Worf's and Calloway's conversation, uh-huh. it's not. I mean, yeah, he's leaning kind of over to see her view screen, but right, it's not. He's it, not like so. What are you wearing? You know, it's not. It's not like anything right, like right. that. It's it's. He's just saying like you know regular ship stuff, right? But I will say, I think Deanna is kind of a. I think she likes the sex. If I, oh if yeah, I say for so sure. myself. Because <laughs> when, when when Worf goes in for it, like when when he kind of takes her hand and it looks like it's going to be this tender moment, he goes straight in for the neck kiss on the first kiss. Oh, I know, right? Which is <laughs> like who? First of all, who has the balls to do that? Like, it's like a super baller move. <laughs> I'm going to skip the lips thing and go straight <laughs> to that other part. And they they and I, I guess because it is a hallucination. That them having sex that right then and there is it like I, does that ever happen like on the show where where they they treat ca- sex casually like that? I mean, I know television at that point we were deep into Friends at that point where who totally casualized sex, right? They right, talked about right. it and it was just sort of this thing that happened. Like it was like they were going to coffee, and so I wonder if that is a a. A consequence of friends is they're like, oh, sex is this casual thing that you can just do and just imply on television now, even on Star Trek. But what's what's funny for me about that scene was I felt like either Marina was not happy with this choice or she didn't understand what was happening in the script because Worf is playing it awkwardly of like, well, I should probably go. And she's just standing there as like a colleague, like. Yes, it's late. Good night. <laughs> really, I I thought there was I thought there was more to it. I thought I felt like she was trying to communicate that she didn't want him to go. Like I I, I maybe I because I knew that's what was happening. Like because I knew that's what the script said. Right. But I kind of felt like she was giving a little bit of "I hope you stay" kind of thing. Right. Okay. I yeah. Hope no, you, I, I hope I hope you kiss my neck. Right? <laughs> right. I hope you bite my neck. You cling on. <laughs> Which you know, you know that that's like that was implied. I would have loved it if when he woke her up and he, and you don't see like you see him say breakfast was ready, which is such a non warf thing that would seem very unwarf, which is, again, makes total sense that this is a hallucination of Deanna's. But right. when they cut to her, she's all beat up. Like, <laughs> well, because that happens in DS9 uh, when he and Dax are dating. That's amazing. They, that's amazing. Yeah, there, there's there's an episode or two. There's at least one where she is like talking about how they had a rough night the night. 
and work gets like kind of uncomfortable saying like you know we don't normally talk about that in front of other people um (laughs) (laughs) that went rough night food poisoning kind of (laughs) Kinda. <laughs> just sort of like, what do you do when right. you're together? In a way. <laughs> you could say that. Um, Alright, so to, just to quickly, like, one final comment about the, the end of the episode. Like, the whole thing was about Quan until it became about Troy, and there was no resolution for Quan. Who's he, Quan? Quan was the guy who, like, started the whole thing. Dan. Oh. Why don't you say Dan? Who's Quan? Sorry. Sorry, I wrote down Quan. It was Daniel Quan. Anyway, like, so they figured out that it was a psionic impression, or as LaForge did the analogy, like a psychic photograph. I know. Um, it totally cut to him for the Star Trek moment, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, like, how... Like, oh, he just... I mean, look at... The, sorry. Look at that in context, right? They just... Someone just told a room full of space scientists what happened, and they all agreed, and then LaForge chimes in, summing it up for everybody, that everybody already knew, right? Right. Yes, Jordy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Jordy, thank you. Well, I mean, to be fair, that's what... Uh, it happens all the time. I mean, I get yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, Picard did the same thing when the two other people in the room were Crusher, who's explaining it to him, and LaForge, who doesn't care. <laughs> It's, I feel like whoever says that, we always know who's behind in, in, in terms of understanding what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> and they finally, like, they finally, like, snaps into place for them. Oh! Yeah. It's like... Yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. It's, welcome, Jordy. <laughs> okay, good. We're all caught up. <laughs> we can continue. Everybody's on board now? All right. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, like the, the consequences that this implies for Quan are disastrous for either Enterprise or Starfleet because they're like, Hey, um, your son committed suicide, but it's because he was telepathic and he was being controlled by a really negative energy. So it's kind of a Starfleet murder. <laughs> Look, in terms of the stuff, like in terms of the the your your son is dead letters that people are getting, I'm sure this is fairly mild, right? <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> Even everything that they see, everything that that happens. <laughs> and he, I mean, like, just to like to dive deeper into what happened, they weren't controlled; they were more infected. You can infect somebody with this psychic power, like psychic energy that's like left over. I mean, whoever, like this Pierce guy, evil Pierce guy. And who was a quarter Betazan. So it doesn't even require a lot of telepathic ability to do this. I mean, it makes me think that if somebody like Deanna or even Deanna's mom, what's her name? Right. Loxana. When yeah. she dies, people just start murdering each other around them. Like everybody. <laughs> I mean, again, like it depends on how she dies. Like he, he was clearly under great emotional distress when he suicide if she right. dies happily in her sleep i'm sure that everybody just around her well everybody just it. yeah everybody's gonna start yeah. having sex with picard <laughs> <laughs> immediately or or jean-luc yeah. <laughs> i do kind of feel sorry for him because she's obviously like 20 30 40 years older than him I, it's unclear I, it's actually unclear like picard does not wear his age very well no so I, I, I never understood how old he's supposed to be in the show right 
Because at Counter and Firepoint, he looks like he could be like 35. So he's he's in his 70s now. and Late 70s, right? Gotta be. For argument's sake, let's just say he's 80. He's, he turns 80 this year. So he was born in 1940, which means he was 47 when the show first Right. Which seems way older way than older. I thought he was. Oh, so that totally. <laughs> okay, he, he's, he's 79. Wow. So that means he was... 48 when the show first aired. That can't be. He looks so young, dude. Right. Oh, so another thing Another thing that I really liked about the episode is in the visions of when Pierce finds the, the two people making out, his girlfriend and his friend, I guess, making out, it's, it's obviously framed in a very deliberate way, right? And then later when Deanna catches Worf making out with Calloway, she looks like Cal- like the person that Pierce. Yes. Right? Like she and it's it's designed to be a, a like almost a direct copy of that shot. And I loved that detail. That was such a right. cool detail. I don't know if that makes it more or less Star Trek, but it it was just a night like that's why I think it was such a well constructed episode. They were thinking about that stuff. I mean my only comp my only wish was that they played a little bit more with her characterizations and idealizations of the members that she was interacting with during her hallucination. Right. But I mean, you kind of understand why they didn't because they didn't want it to, to telegraph that they, right. that they weren't themselves. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And um, it was also cool that the villain was a dead guy and he wasn't a villain. He didn't end right. up being some, you know, some force against them. It was just a, an accident. Yeah, Absolutely. It was just his negative emotion when he died. Right. Um, kind of just lingered there. Like a psychic photograph. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Poor Dan. One of the things that was really interesting was one of the um, one of the people that they showed on screen was um, Commander Salvatore, I think. Um, she she specifically mentions my name and they show his picture. Um, he <laughs> his the the actor's name is Robert Cox. He's been on Next Generation. Voyager and Enterprise, several episodes of each one, and he's uncredited in all of them. Why? <laughs> Apparently, like just because he's he's background, so they don't always credit all of the the atmospheric I guess, yeah, actors. I guess that's true. Which guy is he? When she's going through the uh, the directory of everybody, oh. she was trying to you know narrow it down who it was. Got it. Um, <laughs> That's awesome, though. Good for him. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, steady, steady work, but nobody knows who he is. Um, <laughs> well, the problem is he probably didn't have a line in any of them. Right. Yeah, no, he didn't. Yeah. Well, apparently he didn't. He's on that. The moment he speaks, yeah, changes all the rules. Right. Um, the which rules. is why the prince didn't speak in that episode. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can't, like, it's, it's a totally different rate um, in terms of pay. If right. You, if you, yeah. Which is like it's it's a totally different pay based on whether or not you speak, and it's a totally different pay on how many days you're there. Um, when when I filmed America's Most Wanted, um, they they ran over by like six hours or something like that, but that consequently bumped my time to the next level, and so I got paid residuals um, every time the episode aired. So that's cool. Were they yeah. were they significant? Uh, it was like two hundred bucks every time, and I think it aired like five or six times. The guy still hasn't been caught. It's pretty crazy, but ah, I see what you did. What? No. What? What did I do? I thought you said I still haven't been caught. Oh, I said the guy still hasn't been caught. Oh. <laughs> oh. That was a, my joke was way better than your joke. See again, <laughs> who who gets credit for that? 
Who gets credit for Mine that wasn't a joke. That's all you. No, like but I was saying. But I thought you said something that you didn't. So yes, right? Nobody gets credit yeah. for that joke again. Yeah. Nobody gets royalties. <laughs> right. Uh, it's the Robert Cox of humor. <laughs> Uh, so okay, so where do you come down on this episode? I I, I thought it was a extremely well written episode, uh, but not particularly a great or a particularly good. Not good. Damn it, Paul. Bad. Proper Star Trek. It it only felt proper in that these the characters were all on point. See, and I, and I felt there was there was quite a bit that made it exclusively Star Trek. Like obviously there was the data moment. Uh, there was the the, the inhibitor, yeah, the the inhibitor for her psychic abilities. Um, the like what you were just saying, the the fact that the bad guy was dead. Um, I, I mean, I guess that's not inherently Star Trek. That part isn't, but you you would have to do massive amounts of rewrites to put this into a at least a non sci fi show. All all of the like, for example, the the meds that they dose Deanna with so she's not a psychic anymore which by the way don't work at all i felt so for me the, the way i took that was that's how strong the the psychic photograph was right it wasn't yeah it wasn't that it wasn't working because she couldn't read other people at this time which also helped to explain why she was having a hard time understanding force intentions um right but she was imagining everything this is all yeah, I mean, yeah that's sort of what puts it in this weird pocket of okay anything that happened didn't happen so is it does it belong in as a as an episode in terms of is it Star Trek right because it, it's all so, happening in somebody's head, right? So here's here's the other part of it that kind of makes it wrong. Point: there's there's not really a moral or political issue that needs to be discussed. It was just a murder mystery that they were trying to solve. I suppose um, they talk about suicide quite a bit, which isn't right, but it's it's not part of the issue that it's not part of the episode that is like being debated right it's it's just front loaded as we have to acknowledge this now and then right. once once we feel as though we've acknowledged it enough we're going to not ever talk about it again <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> without the the moral or political issue that immediately takes it off of the star trek table that's one of the two criteria that we have explicitly stated that's true so you that's know true. so this this wasn't this wasn't a bad episode by any means no it's great it was, Very yeah i think it was a great episode and and because of the characters of Star Trek, like they're playing in the sandbox world, so this is definitely a fun, a fun Star Trek episode, and it's it's good and it's worth watching. It just would not be considered a a proper Star Trek episode. All right, well, okay, so let's figure out what we're gonna watch next. All right, the original series, The Paradise Syndrome, trapped on a planet whose inhabitants resemble Native Americans, Kirk loses his memory and is proclaimed a god. Oh man! Oh man! Somebody... An episode based on White Savior. <laughs> man, they really dialed into the ego of of uh, James Stewart, <laughs> didn't they? <laughs> right. Look, we've only got one season left. We got renewed, kind of by a fluke. What are we gonna do? Well, <laughs> I know what I want to do. <laughs> what if I'm a god? No, it's definitely hunting for the words. What if I'm a god? Oh, no, he had that dialed in because he says that every morning in front of the mirror. <laughs> so, yeah, then, it, then the, de- the pause is definitely after the subject. What if I am a god? 
<laughs> and it's like it, he says what if but there's a period at the end of that sentence <laughs> hear me out here yeah. <laughs> all right well, let's go watch it okay